Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. As we get started this morning, I want you to think about um, traditions, all right? We're starting a new series today called Traditions, so I wanted to frame our mind around this this morning. So think about right now, what are some of your favorite family traditions in your family? that you do every year? What are, what's a favorite family tradition? So um, a tradition is something that you do uh, regularly that gets passed down, okay? And so my family has a lot of traditions. Um, you know, most of them revolve around the holiday time, which I'm sure yours do as well. But um, around the holidays on my wife's side of the family, I'm not sure why this started or, or who started it, but whenever we go to their house for Christmas, um, Christmas Eve, sometime around Christmas, we will um, break out the fancy glasses, you know, the ones that you're not allowed to touch or really even look at. And we, we break those out and uh, we drink sparkling grape juice. Not sure why, but that's just a thing that our family does. On my side of the family, um, when I was a baby, I was the first grandkid that was born in the family. Uh, my mom had a coffee mug made for my grandpa that had my face on it. And, uh, and so ever since that day, that first mug, my grandpa expects a mug with all of his grandkids and now great grandkids. And so for 30 something years, he's been getting a mug and now there's so many of us that he actually gets two mugs every Christmas, right? And so that's a, that's a tradition of mine. I thought it'd be fun to get on social media and ask people like, what are your unique family traditions? And a lot of people respond, a lot of you responded, uh, but I wanted to show you a couple of them. So go ahead and put up that first one for me. So this is a friend from Oklahoma. She said, whenever we would cross the state line going back into Oklahoma, you sing the Oklahoma song, right? From the, from the musical and my family, we do that too, all right? So it's probably an oaky thing, but that's a tradition in our, our family. Go to that next one. All right, so this is Donnie Wells on, on the Twitter, right? He says, a family candlelight steak dinner on Christmas Eve. It's been a thing for over 40 years. Haven't missed a single one. Is that true? Man, that's a, that's a long time. So um, two years ago, my family, we kind of started something similar. We do steak and shrimp or lobster or something like that on Christmas Eve. And uh, I think it's a good thing to, to keep going. All right, what's the next one? Jill Chandler, she says that the Chandler family goes to the beach the week after Christmas. And I think Pam speaks for all of us asking if we can join the family, right? <laughs> that sounds awesome. All right, what's the next one? So this is a buddy from, from high school. He says, pickle on the Christmas tree and getting your nose buttered on your birthday. Now, anybody heard of this? Because like he says it just like you should know what this is, right? <laughs> I've, I've heard of the pickle on the Christmas tree thing. Um, I, that one maybe, but, but getting your nose buttered on your birthday. So anybody, has anybody heard of it? Is this a thing in your family? Nobody, okay, okay. So I said, man, you're gonna have to help me out. What is butter on the birthday? So go to that next one. He says, at, at some random point of the celebration, someone would just come out of nowhere behind you and slather butter all over your nose. So. I think that sounds like a fun tradition to start. Uh, maybe it could be a Mother's Day tradition. I don't know. All right. 
So I thought, I thought those, those are fun. So we're starting this new series today called Traditions. Uh, that, that word is used a couple of times in the book of 2 Thessalonians. And, and whenever Paul's saying that, he's, he's talking of something that's being passed down to them. All right, information, things that are being passed down and really they're guidelines for his, his followers. And, and so these traditions, they inform and affect our lives in very tangible ways. And today, the thing that he's gonna pass down to us, the tradition he's gonna pass down is the message on how do we make it through when life is hard? How do you make it through when life is hard? You maybe caught that theme in the worship songs that we even sing this morning. How do we make it through? Right? And what he's gonna show us is that we keep moving forward, we keep fighting, and we trust God for the victory. Right? So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter one. 2 Thessalonians, we've been in the first uh, Thessalonian letter, and today we're starting the second, second one. And so as you're turning there, understand a little bit about this letter. It's really just a continuation of his first letter that we just walked through. Um, most people think that, that 2 Thessalonians was written just weeks after the first letter, at most a year. But it was a really short time after writing the first letter that he writes the second letter. And because of that, a lot of the same talking points are the same. The first letter deals with persecution and it deals with the return of Jesus. Okay, and how he, he talks about the return of Jesus is in the midst of what you're facing, um, Jesus' return is gonna make it better. And that's where he picks up today in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter one. And so before we read it, I want, I'd like us to pray. I'll pray for us. Why don't you pray for yourself that God would speak to you in this time? Let's pray. God, we just wanna pause um, as we open up your um, inspired, perfect word given to us. We're, we're opening that up now, and so I pray, God, that in this time that your spirit would speak directly to us and that you would change us and mold us and make us more into the likeness of Jesus this morning. Would you use this time? Would you speak to us? We're listening, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter one. Let's pick up in, in verse three. Paul says, says, we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. Since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This, this will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, verse eight, when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. Verse 11, in view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling 
and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so that's, that's where we're gonna base our time uh, this morning. And I wanna show you three things. He kind of says them in this passage. He says, we, we do this for you, we do this for you, and we do this for you. And so we're just gonna look at those three things. The first one is, he says, we ought to thank God for you. What he's saying is, is first, number one, he's thankful for their progress. Thankful for their progress. So my, my freshman year of, of high school, I was very small like short, scrawny, I was very small. And so I played basketball growing up and when I got to ninth grade, that's high school, um, and uh, I didn't make the varsity team. I was too small, I, I didn't make the team, I was, um, you know, and I was sad about that. It made me, made me sad. So I, I, you know, I'd seen all the sports movies, the inspirational movies and things like that of the underdog, and I felt like that was me, right? That I was too small for the team, that I wasn't good enough to make the team, that I was, you know, whatever. And, and so I kind of felt that way a little bit. And I remember talking to my parents about it, like just tore it up. Like I wanna be on the team, I wanna make the team. And my mom said, well, why don't you go talk to your, talk to your coach and, and see like what you can do to improve. And I thought that's good. I've seen them do that in the movies, you know? So I, um, so I went, I'll never forget. I, I walked into the gym and, um, and my coach, he was sitting there, he was like watching the junior high practice or something like that. And I sat down by him and I'm like, coach, I wanna play. Like I wanna play on the team. I'm passionate about it. So just tell me what I need to do and I'll, I'll do anything, you know? Like I just wanna, I wanna make the team. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure he kinda fought back some, some laughter cause here's this five foot nothing freshman kid just asking like, I wanna be on the varsity team. And uh, he told me some stuff. And, uh, and I, you know, I left. So I kept going to practice every day, right? Kept going to practice. I worked hard. I, I listened to the things that he told me to do. I kept a good attitude. And you know what? I not only made the team my sophomore year, I was starting varsity my sophomore year. All right? Kind of like Michael Jordan in that way. It's a... <laughs> I don't, wanna, I don't wanna brag, but it's, a, it's an underdog story. It really is, right? And so here's the thing about that though. I'm sure I did increase in skill and I'm sure I got better. I'm sure I listened to the things that he told me to do. But the reason is over that summer, freshman to sophomore year, I grew like six inches, right? And so that's why I made the team. It, it, it took time, but I had grown. That's, that's what made the biggest difference. And really, I think that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that the Thessalonians are making progress, that they are growing. Look at, look at verse three. He says that their faith is flourishing and that their love is increasing. Their faith is, is flourishing. That, that word that he uses there that's translated flourishing in our Bible, it, it speaks of the healthy kind of growth like a, like a plant makes. Right, and, and so it takes time, but it's, it's like he's saying, it's like a, a strong oak tree. It takes a lot of time, um, but, but when it's done right, when it's in the right environment and the conditions are right, it causes that tree to grow big and strong and its roots grow deep. And that's what he means by flourishing, that their faith is, is growing and it's, it's flourishing, right? It's big and it's strong. And then he says that their, their love is increasing or it's, it's growing 
The Greek word there uh, describes something that is spreading out widely like, uh, like floodwaters. That's, that's the imagery that, that that word gives off, that their love is just going out like a flood. And Paul is saying that their faith is growing like a healthy plant and their external love was spreading out and affecting everything around them. And so he says to these people in Thessalonica that are facing some tough, tough things, he says, your, your faith is growing strong, your love is spreading out, it's being seen by everyone. And, and I think the point for us, the application for us today in Greenbrier, Arkansas in 2022 is this, that you should be making forward progress in your walk with Christ. Like you should be moving forward in a direction like and so ask yourself, man, are you? Are you growing? Are you flourishing? Are you moving forward? You should be growing in your walk with Christ. You aren't saved to just stay right where you were. We weren't saved for that, but that's what we see so many professing Christians do. They'll say like, yeah, I, I walked down front as a kid or I, I prayed this prayer, but, but nothing is really affected in my life Today, there's no evidence of moving forward at all. There's no spiritual depth and there's no even real desire for spiritual depth. And if that's you, man, I would strongly encourage you to make sure that you are really a follower of Jesus. If, if you are not growing, if you are not pushing forward, making progress in your faith, you need to check yourself and ask, am I really a follower of of Jesus. That's what he says. He says their faith is flourishing. Their, their love is increasing. These are currently happening. Like they are currently happening. Action is taking place. And they're not finished yet. They haven't arrived. They're not perfect. And Paul isn't saying that, but movement is happening. Throughout scripture, Paul pushes for progress a lot. He uses different imagery. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter three, he, he uses the imagery of milk to meat. And he says, he says we, we fed you milk because you weren't ready for meat. Like you, weren't, you, hadn't, you hadn't made it to that point yet. In Colossians chapter two, he, he says this. He says, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus Lord, continue to walk in him. Like that, that shows us progress, that, that shows us that something is actually happening. And so what we need to hear is that, that progress is evidence of our faith. Like let's, let's be clear, like the, our progress, the things that we do don't save us, but they are evidence that, that change has happened in our life. Galatians chapter five says there that the fruit of the spirit, right? That imagery of fruit, that comes from something that is alive fruit does, right? And the Bible says that, that the fruit of the spirit or, or the evidences in our life that we are changed, that progress is making, is, is taking place. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, fruit is the evidence of life. And if you go to the astrobiology portion of nasa.gov, like I did this week, it says that one of the main characteristics of life is that it grows. Or to say it another way, um, stuff that doesn't grow is dead, right? 
And so if something is not growing, it's dead. And Paul says, whenever he looks at them, he says, I'm thankful for your progress. I'm thankful that you are growing, that you are flourishing, that your love is increasing. And I think we would do well to ask ourselves and say, is my faith, is my walk making progress? It's an evidence of, of life. The second thing that he says in verse four is that he says he's proud of their fight. Proud of their fight. Now, remember the context of what's happening here. They're facing persecution. If you remember in Acts chapter 17, if you're with us through our First Thessalonians series, we talked about how Paul was ran out of town by an angry mob, right? And then that mob began to mess with the people constantly there. So they're facing this, this persecution. And he says in Second Thessalonians verse four, he says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. So basically, if I could summarize what Paul just said, he's saying, we are so proud of you. We're so, like, we are so proud of you. We tell everyone that we see about you and about your faith and how you are persevering through some of the hardest things that you could ever walk through. We are proud of you that you are persevering. And then he encourages them to remember where their hope comes from. Again, this is a theme in his first letter as well. He says, our hope is this, that Jesus will settle the score. Whenever we're facing these difficult things, he points to Jesus and the victory of Jesus and the return of Jesus. I like the way Eugene Peterson um, translates this verse in the message uh, translation. I'll just say I, I probably wouldn't preach from the message translation, but I do think it's a helpful side tool uh, to, to look at different things. And so look at what Eugene Peterson says here as he summarizes that section, verse five through 10, about Jesus' return. He says this, all this trouble is a clear sign that God has decided to make you fit for the kingdom. You're suffering now, but justice is on the way. When the master Jesus appears out of heaven in a blaze of fire with his strong angels, he'll even up the score by settling accounts with those who gave you such a bad time. His coming will be the break we've been waiting for. Those who refuse to know God and refuse to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus will pay for what they've done. Eternal exile from the presence of the master and his splendid power is their sentence. But on that very same day when he comes, he will be exalted by his followers and celebrated by all who believe. See, Paul's saying, you are facing some difficult things now. You're suffering now, but Jesus is going to settle the score. His coming will be the break we've been waiting for. And so don't miss what he's, what he's saying here. He, he's pointing to a day when Jesus will return and make all things right. And he does say, like, we, we need to make sure we understand this, that at the end of all of this, either at the end of our life or, or at the point when Jesus comes back, there are only two groups of people. There's those who, who don't belong to Jesus and those who do belong to Jesus. Is what Paul is clearly saying here. And we are a people, like Acts 17, 4 says, that we have been persuaded by the gospel, that we believe that Jesus is the coming Messiah who came to take our place. He died a death that you and I should have died. Our sin separates us from God. Jesus took on the wrath of God. He took on that penalty, willingly went to a cross and died for you and for me. And if you and I will just have faith 
and trust that he is who he says he is and that he did what he said he will do, we put our faith and our trust in him, we give our life over to him, the Bible says we will be saved. We will become a part of that group that's not isolated from him at the end. We will be part of that group that exalts him and glorifies him as verse 10 says. We, we trust him, we're followers of him. We, we trust him to make everything right that he does what he says he will do. And so that's, that's true, right? We believe that, we hold on to that. And that hope that Jesus will one day make all things right, he'll settle the score, that thing that's kicking your tail right now, Jesus is gonna settle the score, like that gives us hope and it sustains us for the future, but doesn't take away the hurt now, does it? It doesn't take away the the hard now. And that's what Paul says. He says they are in the fight now. So he says in verse four that that you are enduring. And we don't know like what the, the people in Thessalonica, we don't know exactly what it was they were facing. And I don't know exactly what it is that you're facing this morning either. But what we do know from this is that Paul is saying that their perseverance is actually making them stronger. It's making them stronger. The word enduring here in the Greek is, is, is a word that means active strength in the face of difficulty. Whenever he says you are enduring, it's active. It's strength. They're in the fight, right? And so it's not this passive acceptance. It's not just like I just need to hunker down and just take whatever comes my way. No, it's active strength. It's a fight is what Paul is saying, and the gloves that they put on in this fight is their faith. Their faith in the Lord strengthened their fight. And so I think we need to know this morning that the fight makes you stronger. The fight makes you stronger. Whatever it is you're facing this morning, I know that it's tough and I know that it's hard and it's probably not even fair, and it may be hard to see right now, but the fight is actually making you stronger. God is using it to sanctify you. Jesus clearly says in John 16, 33, he says in this world, it's gonna be hard. You're going to have troubles, you will. And so that thing that you're facing, it's probably not punishment. It's an opportunity for God to work in and through you. Romans eight twenty eight says this, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love Jesus, those who are called according to his purposes. He works all things together for our good. And so whenever we are facing these things, this persecution, and and let me just be clear, like here in America, like we probably don't face persecution like what Paul's talking about here, but we do face hard things and maybe more of it will be coming the the longer we're here on this, this earth, but we need to understand that God will work through our troubles to do a few things. I wanna show you a few things from scripture that, that God will use our troubles to do in our lives. First thing is that he will use it to set our focus on him. He will use that thing that you're walking through to set your focus, set your eyes on him. Philippians chapter three, verse 13 and 14 says that. Second thing that, that troubles will do for us is it builds strong character in us. Walking through those things, God is gonna use it to sanctify you and build strong character in you. Romans chapter five, verse three says this, and not only that, 
but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. He's using that thing to build character in us. Third thing that it does is it gives us opportunities for ministry and to comfort others who are walking through the same thing. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter one says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. You see it? So you may be walking through that thing because somebody next to you needs to see Jesus in and through you. In that waiting room, in that hospital bed, in that situation where you are, he may be using that so that others can see him. He may be using you to show comfort to them. The last thing that walking through troubles will do is it grows us in our faith and our love. Just like, just like Paul says that the Thessalonian people, they're growing in their faith and in their love. James chapter one, verse two, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, but when you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So whenever we're facing different things, different troubles, different trials in our lives, man, just know that the fight is making you stronger, that God is using those things in your life to sanctify you. So, so stick in it, like don't, don't bail. It's so easy whenever we encounter situations just to throw up our hands and bail whenever things get hard and say, man, it's too hard. Like, I can't do this. I can't follow a God that would allow whatever. Or maybe it's this that we say, it's just easier to just step away and do this thing over here. It's easier to live how I wanna live. This whole Christianity thing has caused issues for me. It's caused issues in my relationships with my family or at my job or different things. And so it's easier if I just kind of set it aside and we just bail. And so I want us to ask ourselves this morning, are you willing to stick it out? Like, are you willing to stick it out and understand that the fight is making you stronger and, the pay, and you're gonna pay the price to get the reward that he talks about in verses five through 10? Are you willing to stick it out? The good news is we don't have to stick it out alone. Right? That's how he finishes this first chapter. He says, finally, number three, that he's praying for power for them. Verse 11, he's, pay, he's praying for power. In view of this, verse 11 says, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul is praying for them for their ongoing sanctification, 
for their ongoing process. And, and, and that's just it. Sanctification is this big word that we use sometimes in churches that just talks about the ongoing process that you and I are in as followers of him, of him molding us and making us more into the likeness of Jesus. And it's a process. Like we're not there. We don't arrive until the day that we walk through the gates of heaven. But he's molding us and he's making us into the likeness of Jesus. But we need to understand that the power for all this comes from God. It doesn't come from us. That's what Paul prays for them. He says that God does it all, that he makes you worthy, that he helps you to do good. In other words, he's saying he brings about the growth in your life. He gives you the strength to endure. We don't have that ability on our own. We don't. And so what we do is we do like Paul here and we hit our knees and we pray and we ask God to give us the strength to do what only God can do. Give us the, tru the, the trust needed to trust that you alone will do what only you can do and what you said that you'll do. All right? That's what Paul prays for them. Why? So that, verse 12 says, Jesus will be glorified. Jesus will be glorified and you, church, will be glorified by him. That's how verse 12 finishes. That's how Paul finishes this opening chapter of 2 Thessalonians. That's the ultimate purpose in all of this. Our, our progress, our endurance, all of it is for the glory of Jesus. And he's gonna work in us to do those things. And as his people, we live and we grow in him and his glory then radiates from us so that others seeing will know him. It's like the electricity that, that flows through a light bulb, the, the power and glory of Jesus works in us and shines through us and the church becomes that city on a hill, right? That's the picture. I was in my office one day working when I got a call from our preschool. Um, my youngest son, Ames, he was, he was climbing um, some chairs or a stool or something, I don't know, he, he fell, he's three. He fell back, cracked his head on a windowsill and uh, split his head open, right? And there was, there was blood everywhere and I don't do well with blood at all, but I was tough, right? I, I acted tough. So they, they brought him over and uh, we're getting him cleaned up and, and we put a cold rag on the back of his head so that we could take him to the doctor's office. And, and Ames needed a few stitches. That's what he needed. He needed some stitches in the back of his head. And so we called one of the pediatricians in the church. And he said, yeah, bring him over. And he got him in to, to put these stitches in his head. So we get there. And Ames is hurting. Like he is. He, he, he's hurting. But I was proud of him. He was, he was tough. He was acting really tough. And so they laid him there on, on, the, on the little bed and uh, they start putting stitches um, in, his, in his head. And I sat right there by him, face to face with him and held his hand and told him, I said, just look at me, just look at me. And he was so tough, right? He was hurting, but he kept his little eyes locked in on his dad. And I was there with him through the whole thing. And I think that's the picture of what Paul's trying to teach us in this first chapter. The life is painful. It hurts. But if we just keep our eyes on our Father and we trust Him to do what only He can do, well, then we're going to see progress. 
and we're gonna see endurance building in our life, we begin to understand that the fight is actually making us stronger. We don't focus on what the world is doing to us, we focus on what God is doing in us and he's doing something new in us. And he's stretching us and he's growing us and he's growing our faith and he's growing our love for one another and one day, he's going to once and for all settle the score. He is. But until then, let's take our eyes off of ourselves and trust him for the progress. Trust him for the endurance to make it through. Trust him that he is going to settle the score. And let's watch as he is glorified in us and through us. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.